Hello friends, thank you for joining us yet again for a short dive into the Catholic doctrine of the communion of saints. And what we wanna talk about today is the somewhat strange practice of Catholics for venerating relics. So I'm gonna tell you what a relic is and why and how we venerate these relics. So number one, a relic is either A, bone, cloth, or an item that a saint touched. So the literal bone of a saint, maybe the habit that a nun wore or a religious garb that they wore. So nuns, objects that they had on their person often during their lives, like often rosary beads become uh, relics in the church. Oh, then there are items that are touched to these sacred relics. So for instance, a lot of people will take a rosary and they'll touch it to a first class relic of a saint. And those also become what we call third class relics. So within the Catholic church, we have these distinctions between different classes of relics. Now, a lot of people can be a little squeamish when it comes to relics. You're telling me we're here to like uh, pray in front of a, a femur bone of a saint or something like that, to which I say yes, and I absolutely love it. In fact, one of my favorite relics is the vocal cords of St. Anthony of Padua, the famous preacher of the Franciscans, preserved to this day in the cathedral of St. Anthony of Padua, that they've never corrupted, they've never decayed, which is wild because it's about 800 years ago. Now, why do we venerate them? Why do we have them? Well, this isn't an entirely unbiblical thing that was added in the weirdo Middle Ages, no. In fact, if you go to 2 Kings chapter 13, what you find is the great story of the prophet Elisha. In the story of Elisha, he is the successor to the famous prophet Elijah. And Elisha was described as having a double portion of the spirit of Elijah. And he was a revered holy man and prophet. And in chapter 13 of 2 Kings, eventually he dies and he's trying to prepare and set up Israel for the period immediately following his death. But he dies and he's buried. And while they're burying him, his bones were still gathered and they're putting him in the grave. A marauding band of Moabites comes in. And, you know, back in those days, people would form these tribal groups and bands and they would go raiding surrounding areas. And so in comes this group of Moabites and a bunch of people were burying another person. And they took the body of this dead man who recently deceased and they threw it into the open pit that was gonna be the grave for Elisha. And the moment the man's body came in contact with Elisha's bones, he immediately was restored to life. That's how chapter 13 of 2 Kings ends. He is restored to life and he jumps up out of the grave. So when we think about this, number one, the bones. What is so magical about bones? There's nothing magical. They are sacramentals. They are outward signs that give us or reveal to us God's grace and love to us. Now, they're not the seven sacraments, but they still are visible manifestations of God's love. Now, in the New Testament, one of my favorite stories is the story of the hemorrhaging woman. Here is a woman who for years has had a blood flow that hasn't stopped. And because the blood flow is happening, she's excluded from temple worship because she's ritually unclean. So she spent her entire life savings on doctors trying to find healing. Nothing is working. So out of desperation, she says, if I but touch the hem of his garment, I will be healed. That was her faith. So she fights through the multitudes, the crowds. She touches the hem of his garment and what happens? Power immediately goes forth from him. And Jesus turns around, who touched me? And the apostles are like, Jesus, everyone's touching you. And then the woman comes forward and he says, your faith has made you well. Now notice what happened. Jesus didn't solemnly do something like he did for the blind man where he makes clay or didn't do anything. 
She touched the hem of his garment, the fabric that's connected to him. These same words are used multiple times in the New Testament referring to Jesus. If I but touch the hem of his garment, if I touch the tassel of his sandal, I will be healed. In Acts chapter 5, people would bring their sick out just so the shadow of the apostles would fall over them and they would be instantly healed, cleansed of demons, and raised from the dead. This is pretty powerful stuff. So we can see this isn't unbiblical or anti-biblical. This is thoroughly grounded in a scriptural witness of the power of what it means when you say yes to God, you're baptized, your body becomes a temple of the Holy Spirit. We are not souls that are inhabiting a body, right? That's not Christian theology. Our souls and our bodies are united together, right? So the idea of the I become holy, my body becomes holy. That's why we worship with stand, sit, kneel, because Christ came to us with a body, he raised up human nature. And the beautiful sign of this is all the miraculous healings that come both biblically and throughout church history of dealing with relics of the saints. At the very least, they are a reminder of the holiness and the life that went before. At the most, God can work powerfully through the bones of these saints, through the items that they used, through items that were touched to them, like the cloths, and uh, aprons of Paul's day to bring healing and manifest the glory of God. So no, we do not worship these items. We don't venerate them as ends in themselves, but we see in our veneration of holy relics, reminders that God's power in Christ Jesus is still at work today. So brothers and sisters, I wanna invite you, when that chapel is built, come and venerate the holy relics of the 26 saints that we have, plus the relic of the true cross. So you can encounter in a physical way, the love of God that is still manifest among us. And finally, remind yourselves that you too are temples of the Holy Spirit. So let's be holy and follow after Jesus Christ, the leader and pioneer of our faith. St. Anthony of Padua, pray for us.